hazed with fear. It gave you so much introspection. It made you look inside yourself and question a lot of what just happened. You ever been asked a question like that? So penetrating. So rebuking. A question that made you realize you were wrong, you were foolish, and that you had no excuse to justify your actions. I was asked a question like this only but a few weeks ago. The question was posed under some of the most strenuous moments of my life. The context of the question I'm not too proud of, but I couldn't argue with where it was coming from. I knew the answer to the question, but I did not want to accept it. Perhaps the most penetrating thing about the question was who the person was who asked it. You see, the question that was asked to me was asked to me by God himself. I'm not a proud of the circumstances, but it is what it is. Before I tell you the question, I need to tell you the story behind it. It's a story with many interesting things, and some of them are hard to swallow. But it's a personal story, and there's much to learn from it. It begins one day when I was taking a nap at my father's house near his wine press. My father's name is Amatai. My name is Jonah. I'm from the town of Gath-Hefer, just north of Jerusalem. I was called to be a prophet of the Lord in the year 753 B.C. to the northern kingdom of Israel. Jeroboam II was the king during my reign. He was a wicked man, although he was quite politically savvy. And during that day, when God got my attention, he had a plan for me. He said, Jonah? And I said, yes, Lord. And this certainly wasn't an odd occurrence. I was a prophet. That's what I did. I heard a voice from the Lord. And I was eager to do whatever he said. And I said, yes, Lord. God said, Jonah, I want you to go to a city and preach against it. God, I'll be glad to do that. I'm excited about it. Where do you want me to go, God? Jonah, it's a large city. Oh, a large city. Is it, is it Samaria? Is, is it Bethlehem? Or do you want me to go south to Jerusalem? No, Jonah, not one of those cities. Well, then God, you said it was a great city. I mean, it must be a small city then. Because those are the greatest cities in all of Israel. Jonah, God said to me, Yes, Lord, the city is not in Israel. Oh, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. That bothered me. Let me tell you something about Nineveh. It's one of the leading cities in the nation of Assyria. The Ninevites were not our friends, to say the least. 
They were evil people, wicked people, certainly not like us, Israelites. They're far away, never been there before, didn't like them, don't want to go. So after some thought, I decided I'm going to run away. I'm going to skip town. God will never notice. So I headed to the port city called Joppa. Found a cargo ship on the way to Tarshish. Tarshish is far away. It's in Spain. But to say that you're going to Tarshish is equivalent for you guys saying, well, I'm going to Timbuktu. You're just going far. And that was my plan. I paid a price. I was willing to do it. I'm getting out of here. I'm not going to Nineveh. Got aboard the ship. A little tired from my journey. And decided to take a nap. Interestingly, <laughs> I was in the middle of walking in disobedience to God. You know, sometimes people think that if I'm able to rest, I'm at peace, I can take a nap, then God's not displeased with me. I was sleeping sound like a baby. In fact, there happened to be a storm. Didn't even wake me up. No small storm. A great storm. The type of storm that makes a captain throw his cargo overboard. You ever seen a mailman throw his mail on the floor out of desperation? Certainly not. His livelihood depends on him delivering the package. But the captain, yeah, he was afraid. And you know what? Afraid captains make terrified passengers. But not me. I was enjoying my nap. They started throwing the cargo overboard, I'm told. Then I get this nudge on my shoulder. And I hear some... Woke up. What are you doing, you sleeper? Get up and pray to your God. That was not the best way to wake up, I'll tell you that much. Evidently, these guys have been praying to their God. I get up to the top of the ship and I hear names like Neptune and Poseidon and Zeus and all these other names. Didn't know who these people were. And I'm told to pray to my God. Things were getting bad, I'll tell you. So what they decided to do was cast lots. It's an ancient, ancient Near Eastern way to find out who's responsible for a particular thing or how to make a decision. They did it, and it happened to fall on me. I really don't think that was a mistake as I look back at that moment. They stared me in the eye and they said, Where did you say you work? Where did you say you were from? Where are you going? Who are you? Then I realized they were asking the wrong questions. Certainly where I was from was important. But real important was who I worshipped because of where I was from. I told the men, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, and the God of the sea and of all the dry land. The captain looked at me and said, 
So you say you worship the God of the sea, and you thought you could run away from him by going on a boat? Didn't think through that one too well, did I? There's no such thing as out of sight, out of mind with God. See, God is omnipresent. He sees us at every moment. Even at the bottom of a boat in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. They were mad at me, of course. After all, the sea god in their eyes was out to get me. So they asked, what do we do with you? And you know, for me, what were my options? Go to Nineveh or go off the boat? So I said, you know what, guys? You've got to throw me overboard. What? That was their response. We're not throwing you overboard. You've got to pick me up and toss me. So the guys decided, you know what, we're not going to do this. We're going to row harder. And they dug their oars into the sea and pulled back as hard as they could, but to no avail. Because in actuality, they were fighting against God. In their desperation, they looked at me, and I knew it was time. You ever get picked up by the arms and the legs, and you hear the one, two, three? Yeah, expect a splash after that. That's what happened to me. But you know, it's interesting. These men were more, more righteous than I. Because they didn't want to throw me in. They begged God for a way around it. And in fact, after they threw me in, I could hear them singing as I'm, as I'm sitting in the water, laying in the water, floating, trying to stay afloat. They started crying out to this God that I worshipped. They cried out to my God. The very thing I was unwilling to do. So I sank. I found myself in the belly of Sheol, the place of death. Seaweed around my neck. My heart sunk. The waves and billows washed over me. The waters closed around me in deep, deep Deep into the Mediterranean I went. You know, the average depth of the Mediterranean Sea is 4,920 feet. I was almost out of sight. But not out of God's sight. See, in my desperation, I called out to God. And He sent the most unlikely deliverer. A fish. No guppy. A big fish. Swallowed me whole. Didn't take a bite. Didn't want to. Swallowed me whole. In the bottom of the sea. Delivered by God. I shouted out in praise. And I declared salvation belongs to Yahweh. He pulled me out when death was all that was mine. For three days and three nights, I was in that belly. Uncomfortable, I must admit, but alive nonetheless. And then the fish decided to vomit me out on the shore. He could have dropped me off where he found me. He could have put me on the surface of the water. He took me to the shore. Vomited me up. And now I was ready. God, 
<laughs> you saved me, I'm going to do what you told me to do. Even though I don't want to. And God reaffirmed his message to me. The word of the Lord came to me. And he says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Nineveh, that great city to God. It's interesting. Nineveh was a great city to God. It wasn't to me. It was a great city to God, not so much because it was large, although it was. Not so much because it was prominent, although it was. But its prominence and its size meant that many people lived there. It had a large population. And for God, this city was an important city. But you know what, honestly? I still didn't get it. These are Gentiles, God. What do we have to do with them? What's so important about these guys, God? I'm a prophet of Israel. I come from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why would you send me to Nineveh? Why would you care about them? But God saved me from the sea and I was going to fulfill my promise to go to Nineveh. So I went there, got into the city, saw a lot of strange folk, and I began to preach the message God gave to me. Now, I really hope God didn't mind, but I decided to kind of abridge it somewhat. And I declared, in all the eight words I could, Yet forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. I figured they didn't need much more than that. I mean, that was, that was good enough. I mean, didn't really want them to do much with that anyhow. And that was my message. And I walked up and down the city for three days, declaring, Yet forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And then the unthinkable happened. They believed me. They believed me. They believed God's message. You should have seen them. The king declared, made a, made a declaration that everybody was going to respond to. He told them, no, no person and no thing can eat. No person and no thing can drink. Everyone is to put on sackcloth, which was a sign of mourning, and even put sackcloth on their animals. What is wrong with these people? How, how did this happen? And the king told people, no one should do any evil or violence. And believe it or not, these people listened. Looking back, I realized although I didn't want to preach, that God will do what he needs to do to get you to do what he wants you to do. Even if you don't want to. The king's reason for all of this was this one statement. He said, perhaps this God will relent from bringing judgment upon us. 
just perhaps these 40 days won't bring judgment after that. Sounds like faith to me. I don't know why he did it. It's amazing how God prepares a person's heart regardless of the person's message that's going to be brought to them. Sometimes people think that I'm going to mess up this message so then I'm going to draw someone away from God. But as I look back, I was just a vessel, but God did all the work. You know, these Ninevites were so far into deception, they didn't even know better. They didn't realize how wicked they were. And all it took was someone like me saying eight measly words to open their eyes to their pitiful situation. Well, you might be wondering, what did you do, Jonah? Well, my problem with the Ninevites wasn't that I was afraid of them. It wasn't so much that they were far away or they looked different. My problem with this whole ordeal was I knew God's character. And I told God, God, see, this is the reason I didn't want to come here in the first place. This is the reason I left the Timbuktu, God. I knew something about God. And it was this very statement that God is a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. I had heard that word since I was a child. It was the word that I was taught that Moses had said in Exodus 34. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. I had heard that as a child. I heard that David wrote in Psalm 86, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all, all who call upon you. But you, O Lord, are a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. I had heard that as a kid. And I had recently heard of the prophet Joel in the second chapter of his book say, Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And He relents over disaster. Who knows whether He will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind Him, a grain offering, a drink offering, for your Lord God. I had heard these words. And my deepest fear was that God, our gracious God, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, would show mercy to the people of Nineveh. I didn't want it. I did not want to have compassion on them. I'll just say it. I didn't like them. I didn't want anything to do with them. My problem was, though, I let my knowledge of God exceed my compassion. I let my knowledge of God exceed my obedience. I could have got a straight A on a character of God test. 
I knew he was gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. I knew these things. But they never translated into compassion or into a life of obedience. Intellectual understandings of God are impotent. And I, Jonah, was number one man, guilty. Don't let people tell you that the God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath and that the God of the New Testament is a God of mercy. The very thing that prevented me from coming to Nineveh was the fact that God was a God of mercy. So, you might say it was childish of, my, of me, but I just cut a deal with God. I said, God, find this happens. Can you kill me, please? Can, can, you, can you just kill me? I, mean, I didn't want to do it myself. But God, God, can you kill me? I, I really am not happy here. I am unhappy to the point of death. And God said, do you well to be angry? I didn't answer him. So I decided to go outside of the city. I took a seat and I watched. And just as the king of Nineveh had said, perhaps God will spare us, I sat down and said, well, perhaps God won't spare them after all. What an antithesis. Had my booth there and then this great thing happened. It was amazing. A plant grew. Big old plant, huge, shiny, green leaves, and gave a shade to me. And I thought, well, this is really convenient. It's hot, sunny, I'm waiting for a destruction to take place, and now I've got shade. I was happy. <laughs> I was thrilled. Not about Nineveh, but about the plant, I was happy. But just a few hours later that night, this massive worm comes and eats it up. What's going on here? I'm getting way too close with nature in this journey. The morning comes up, sun rises, there goes my shade, and then coincidentally, a scorching east wind comes and makes me miserable. Like, this is a horrible journey. Swallowed by a fish, I'm in a storm go to people I don't like. I lose my plant that I loved. This worm is the one that eats it. And now I'm hot and the wind is right on me pushing this hot heat against me. That made me angry. So I, just in case God forgot, God, can you kill me now, please? I'm done with this. And... God didn't do it. God didn't want to kill me. But then God did something. He said something that brought me to this moment. He said, Jonah? Are you hearing yourself? 
You have so much compassion on this plant that you've known for a few hours that you had nothing to do with. And it's gone like that and you are so sad about it. Shouldn't I have compassion on Nineveh? That, my friends, is the question that gripped me with introspection. Shouldn't I pity the people of Nineveh where 120,000 people who are morally backwards live, not to mention a lot of cattle? You might think that's a peculiar statement, huh? God, what about, what about the ox? See, what God was telling me was this. You have so much compassion for a plant and not for the Ninevites. Would you at least show compassion for their animals? God, God, was, God was playing reverse psychology with me. He was showing me how messed up my thinking had become. How backwards I had become. He showed me my true colors and threw the knockout punch. As I reflect on this, I no longer believe in coincidences. I believe God appointed that fish. God appointed that plant. That God appointed that worm. God appointed that scorching east wind to teach me a lesson. You might find it odd that the story that you find in your Bibles about me ends with a question. It's never answered. You want to know what happens to me, don't you? But that's not the point. The question isn't meant for me as much as it's meant for you. Shouldn't God have compassion on your great city? So I hear you live in one. God has a mission for you. I've heard that the Messiah has said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What have you done with that message? Or are you a lot more like me than you want to admit? Sure, you might not have gone to Navy Pier and hopped aboard a boat. But are you running from God by busying yourself with useless activities? Are you running from God by ignoring His message to you? Are you running from God God may bring a storm in your life, as he did to me, to open your eyes. God might use an unbeliever, as he did for me, with the sailors. Perhaps there's a co-worker, a friend, someone in your life who has more dedication to their deception than you have to the truth. The pagan sailors were praying out to their God, lowercase g, Was I praying out to mine? 
Are you calling out to yours? Or maybe you find yourself in the belly of a whale, tangled, a belly of a fish, tangled up, just delivered by God that you might do His will. I hope that you would respond. Do you do things out of obligation? Do you abridge His message as I did? Now, you might not want to say, you know what, Jonah? You're right. I don't go out. I don't go tell, talk to people. But it's, it's, it's because I'm afraid to. I don't know what to say. You know, I used to say stuff like that too. When it comes down to it, most of those excuses are a reflection of a lack of compassion. If you saw people as Yahweh saw people, would you feel the same way? And God is telling you, shouldn't I have compassion on those people? I'm told that in this zip code 60647 alone, there are over 100,000 people who live in it. There are over 3,000 pre-K through 8th graders who live in walking distance from your seat. God is saying, should I not have pity on them? Should I not have pity on this great city that is morally backwards, that will parade sexual immorality in less than two weeks down on Clark Street? Should I not have compassion on this city? And you might say, God, I don't want to go there or to them. And God says, shouldn't I have compassion? It's an open-ended question and is directed to you. What will you do about it? How will you respond? Will you begin to look at people not for their class, their stature, their color, their position, their hygiene? Will you see a soul that is straddling heaven and hell and at the blink of an eye can go to one or the other? I pray that compassion will grip you. That compassion and love might drive you. That you would go and put an end to fear. Put an end to excuses. That you would accept God's person. That you would know you know his character and let it transition into compassion and obedience. Would you believe and act? God asks us of Good News Bible Church, shouldn't I have compassion on Logan Square Humble Park? And shouldn't you be my vessel through which I speak? Will you take that call? Or will you flee to Timbuktu? Because Jonah teaches us, as we're going to sing here, greater things 
have yet to come. And greater things have yet to be done in this great city. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Would you pray with me? Father, there is nobody like you. You are in all places, God. You see the depth of our hearts. Where can we flee from your presence, O Lord? (laughs) Not even the depth of the sea, O God. And now, O Lord, with us, the men and women of Good News Bible Church, Lord God, see what you teach us. We lay aside our stubbornness, our self-righteousness, our self-centeredness, our fears, our excuses, and we cease to busy ourselves with lesser things, God. May we be vessels of compassion to this community that people might find Jesus. We commit this to you. In the name of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you want to be prayed for this morning, if there's anything on your heart, honestly, anything.